Okay, we're going to start a theme this week that has to do with uh, God dwelling with us, okay? And I'll come back and tell you why we're going to do that in just a minute. But in, uh, in Revelation 21, at the very end of the Bible, here are the words. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with him. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But the, all during the last part of the winter and the spring, we did a series at our church out of Leviticus called A Love Story. And some of you visitors are going, really? You did a whole series out of Leviticus? How long did it take? Quite a while, a few weeks. It's 26, 27 chapters in that book. But what we talked about was Leviticus is a blueprint for a love story. It is the book in the Old Testament that contains the theology which became Christianity. So you can find Leviticus all through the New Testament. So it's a blueprint, but a blueprint is nothing more than just a piece of paper with a bunch of drawings on it. You know, you have uh, the drawings for the heating and ventilation, for the electrical, that kind of stuff. And um, it takes a builder to turn it into something, and that's what happened to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. He took God's heart in Leviticus, the, the holiness code, and turned it into a building. That's why we are called a spiritual temple. We're called a spiritual house. That's us. We are the building. So we, we, when we got to the end, we talked about, you know, Leviticus is a very long chapter with lots of rules in it. Well, how are the people going to remember that? They're going to go into the promised land and scatter to all the remote regions. The 12 tribes each had their plot of land. And uh, they're going to go there. And how on earth are they going to remember all these rules? And uh, all of these... Hey, Jude. Thank you. Can we say thank you to Confluence again? I love that man. (laughs) So... How were the people going to remember it? They didn't have these things to carry around with a Bible on it. How are they going to remember all those rules and commands and all of that? So God is very gracious. He created the priesthood, and he put those priests all throughout all those remote regions. So wherever you were, you had a priest that you could go to and say, I forget what I'm supposed to do here. And they would say, here's what you're supposed to do. Um, or I messed up and I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. And he would give them, help them understand what to do about that. That's what the priest did. But that's not all God did. He did several other things. We read last week in Romans, in the last week, that he also gave us this creation right here. The one thing I don't like about this new amphitheater is they put this wall here. Before, we could always see the water from up on the stage, and now we can't. So, excuse me, I have to walk over here to see it. Okay? Look at creation. Do you like being out here? That's right. Everything, every human needs to come to the conclusion that there is a God who loves them can be found right here. That's why I said, if you don't know how to have a conversation with your friends, take them for a walk. Let God tell his own story. The heavens shout the glory of God. All of creation, the earth and the Lord, every, every, earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. 
So let the Lord tell his own story. Take your friend for a walk and ask him, what do you see? Take him a walk a second time. What do you see? Take him for a walk a third time. What do you see? And you know what? Slowly they'll start seeing things because God speaks through this wonderful world. I've been all over the world. This is one of the most beautiful places there are in the world. Uh, I still sometimes amazed that God calls me to this place. I mean, somebody's got to serve Jesus up here, you know. So here I am. So what I tell my students in seminary, somebody's got to do it. You know, I live 15 minutes from five world-class ski resorts. Don't feel too much pity, okay? And so God gave creation. So now he gave the priesthood. He gave creation. That was to remind everybody, including us, that there is someone bigger than us that loves all of us that cares for us. But he didn't stop there. He put in place all these festivals. We looked at that just a couple weeks back. Three times a year, the whole nation had to gather from everywhere they were in the land. They had to gather and celebrate seven festivals over three different time periods, the beginning of the uh, planting season in the middle of it and at the harvest, at the end of the harvest, thanking the Lord for what he did. So the ones at the beginning of the season look back to coming out of Egypt. The ones in the middle reminded them to care for the poor. We should remember that. And the ones at the end started looking forward. This is what eternity is going to be like with the Lord. Everything is bountiful. Everything is fresh. And we're going to see in this passage in just a minute, everything is new. Everything is new. In a world that God created so beautiful, and then we trashed. I own it. It's on us. He didn't create the mess. We did. Now we have a job to do as a church. Clean it up. And I'm not just talking about creation and the earth. I'm talking about the greed All of the things that go on, the brokenness in the world, that's our responsibility to do that. You see, we've said this many, many times, that everything in us wants to do what's right. I believe that. Okay? Except for a little tiny group of people that we call psychopaths or sociopaths. Except for that tiny group, almost everybody wants to do what's right. We just can't figure out what that is. That's why that moral compass is doing this. And I've lived long enough to now that our country is a pendulum country. We vote Republican, and then we vote Democrat. And then we vote Republican, and then we vote Democrat. And we're always angry. There's always people angry. We just, have, just now have social media to let us see it. All right? You should go back and read the newspaper headlines back in the uh, late 1700s, in the 1800s. Kill all the Mormons. West Virginia. I love it. Right? Why would we do that? They all had their... They all had this going on. This is what we live in, the world we live in. And so that's why young people ask me, I like Psalm 2, the Lord laughs at the nations. That's why I've told you many times, don't read the headlines unless you can sit back and laugh at it. Because we have a God who's in control. Don't be so anxious. Don't worry about it. Back and forth. That's what we do. That's the way our country operates from the beginning, back and forth. And pretty soon we're going to get tired of what we're doing now. We'll go back the other direction. Okay. Whatever we do, that's not my area of specialty. I just watch it and read it. So he put together these festivals that was to remind people throughout the year. They would stop here, the whole nation, and say, thank you, Lord, for bringing us out of slavery. And thank you for the crop that's about to come. 
And then in the middle, they would all stop and say, thank you, Lord, for blessing us. Because by now, they could see the crops are all, they're not ready to harvest, but they could see that they're going to have a plentiful harvest. It's going to be abundant. And that way, they would take care of the poor. Don't harvest all the way to the edges of your field. That's the story of Ruth. So the poor could come and get food whenever they needed. And then we get to the end. And, you know, at the end of the harvest, the whole nation got back together for a third time. And we say, thank you, Lord, for all of this bountiful harvest. Now we know you're going to take care of us in the future. And that pointed us that way. So we have priests. That reminded them of what he desired and expected of them. We have the creation, which told its own story of how great he is. And then we have the festivals that told them all throughout the year, stay focused on the Lord. But you know what? There's another thing. And that's what this summer's about. So this is, for those of you that have been in our church, this is a continuation of Leviticus, although we're not going to be in Leviticus. We have his presence. We have his presence. One of the things we learn about all the times that God appears in the Bible, one of the things we learn is that he is the one that always initiates toward us. It's not like all the other nations. You had to go to the gods. Appease them. That was the goal. Appease them. You didn't want them angry. So you're always looking for ways to appease them, but not our God. He chases us down. He comes after us. Even when you have the language like in Exodus, where I've heard the groanings of my people and I've come down to rescue them, even then, he was one that, he, that initiated the, uh, the harsh treatment so that they would turn to him. He told Abraham that's what he was going to do because he knew their hard hearts. So God is always the one that initiates towards us. I'm absolutely convinced God is all over the world tapping people on the shoulder whispering in their ear, helping them to see things. After over 20 years of teaching in third world countries, I have countless stories of how people came to know Christ, but one thing they all have in common is that he went and found them. He went after them. We feel like we went toward him, but he actually came toward us. So this summer, we're going to look at the many places that God dwelled amongst us, how he showed up, you have the Garden of Eden, you have the burning bush, you have the tent of meeting, you have the tabernacle, you have the temple, you know, you have the spiritual temple, you have all that stuff. But in every one, what's, what's common is that God comes and lives in our midst to accomplish his mission, his purpose, to reach everyone for him. And so that's the fourth thing that he's given us to know that he is, he is God. I had... Uh, some of you have heard this story. A number of years ago, I had a young man uh, come to the county, and uh, he called me up. It's been six, seven years, something like that. And uh, he called me up and said, I'm pretty discouraged, but I was, somebody told me if I called you, you'd be glad to meet with me. I go, oh, yeah, absolutely, let's meet. So we met. Uh, I was in my office at that moment. It's one of the very few times I meet in my office. He came to my office because he was free right then. So we sat down, and he had come from another state. He had committed a felony, been in prison. And, uh, and so he just got released from prison. He's only 24, spent seven years in prison. 
And um, he's trying to make sense of the world. And he was, I said, how'd you get my name? He was in the uh, city market. And somebody walked up to him, a woman, I know that. Um, a woman walked up to him and said, are you okay? And he said, well, yeah, I'm a little down. I just moved here. I'm a little discouraged. And so she wrote my name and number on a piece of paper and gave it to him. Now, that's happened about six or seven times over the years. I don't know which one of you is doing it, but keep doing it. It's the same handwriting every time. I should have started collecting them from the beginning. I don't know who it is out there, but keep doing it. So I said, okay, great. What's your story? And he's telling me the story of being in prison, uh, federal penitentiary and all that. And, uh, and so he, um, he had to go to counseling because he was a minor when he went there. And so he said, the, my counselor wants me to figure out told me I should figure out what I believe about the, uh, the non-physical world, the afterlife, God, and all that stuff. He says, can you believe it? God? Does anybody believe in God? Okay, now, if you've seen my office, it's wall-to-wall books from floor to ceiling all the way around of all books about God. The only books that don't talk about God are my French and German dictionaries, but they have God mentioned in them. Every other one's about God. He had no idea who I was. He'd never been to church. He didn't know what a church was. Now, in eight years of living up here, all the conversations I've had, he's the only one that didn't have a faith background. Everybody walked away. By the way, that's a statement about us, not culture. People walking away from the church is on us. It's on us. He's the only one. So I said, well, I believe in God. (laughs) He goes, you do? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, could this be karma? I said, well, okay, um, it, let's assume for just a moment there is one God, a true God, a living God who loves you. Would you want that God to believe in karma? He goes, no. I said, well, my God doesn't believe in karma. He goes, oh, cool. So sitting right at my desk, and he said, so uh, what do I need to do to meet your God? I said, nothing. I said, nothing? I said, no, if he's real, he'll come find you. You don't have to worry. He knows where you are. He's God. He goes, huh, he'll find me, huh? I said, yeah, but if you'd like to get coffee together, I can start telling you about him because I know him. He goes, oh, that'd be nice. So we went to Red Buffalo Coffee. We're sitting there. Here's where creation comes in. I was taught many of the patterns of the 70s, right? You're a sinner, and you need the cross, the chasm, the Romans wrote all of those, and I'm not dissing any of them. They all work at certain times, but not with this young kid. So I went to, and he said, okay, we sit down, we grab our coffee. He says, okay, tell me something about your God. <laughs> He's got his back to the window. And I said, uh, okay, you see the mountains out there? He turns, he goes, yeah, they're all covered with snow. And I said, so he made all those. So he turns around, and he stared for two or three minutes. I'm just drinking my coffee, not to laugh, trying not to laugh my head off. And finally, he turns around after two or three minutes. He goes, why did he do that? And I said, two reasons. One is so that we would have fun and enjoy it. Do you enjoy the mountains? He said, oh, I love the mountains. I'm learning to snowboard. I said, well, you're already doing something that my God desires. Yeah, he made them for you. Oh, second reason is to let you know that you're not alone. Somebody out there that cares about you. So we met for maybe five or six weeks began to investigate it more and more, and all of a sudden he disappeared. He's gone. That happens in my life. I did my part. He's on to the next Christian, whoever that is. I don't even know where he went. He just disappeared. That was like six and a half years ago. 
Two weeks ago, I was over at the rec center working out, and this guy steps in front of me on the track. Mr. Howard. I go, yeah. He goes, do you remember me? Scott? He's much taller. His hair's really long now. And I said, oh, my gosh, I didn't even recognize you. What are you doing here? Because I'm only here for two days, and I saw you doing the track. And he said, it's so good to see you, and he gave me a hug. And I said, you have time for coffee? And he goes, no, I don't, not right now. He said, but I'll be back in uh, two or three weeks, and uh, I'd love to get coffee and just talk. I'm dying to know what happened in the last six and a half years. I have no idea. But where did I start? I didn't start with a cross. I started here because he understands this. And that's like a magnet that drew him in. Okay? It just started to pull him in. And so now I'm dying to know what actually happened. So now, to start this journey and looking at how God dwells with us and loves to make his home with us, we're going to go to the end of time. This is Revelation 21. We're going to start at the end of the story, and then for the rest of the summer, we're going to work our way through the story and look at all the many ways that God dwells with us. And we have some work to do along the way. For example, when we get to the tabernacle and the temple, we have to look at how it's designed and constructed because it was designed to teach the people about the God that they couldn't see yet. Jesus hadn't come. We're going to look at all that. How careful he was to give the nation of Israel and us benchmarks that we could look at every step of the way. Everywhere we look, we can see him so that our faith gets stronger and stronger. And it starts right there. That's the beginning. Revelation 21, the end of the story, or the beginning of the story. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Okay, pause. I'm just going to give you my thoughts on this story. A new heaven and a new earth, because the old had passed away. Um, this word that we translate passed away is an interesting word. It doesn't necessarily mean to obliterate, to disappear. That would be crazy because heaven is where God loves, lives and heaven does not disappear. What he's talking about, a certain, a certain way that heaven and earth are ordered all get transform, transformed into something brand new. Okay? In fact, he says that down in verse uh, verse 5. I am making everything new. So don't get the idea that he's getting rid of everything. Put, get the idea that he's transforming everything into something even more spectacular. Because from the beginning of the story, earth was our home. Paul says in Romans that, uh, that uh, Abraham was promised the earth. Jesus said... Um, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth, right? And, uh, and so we see that language all the way through. So we actually have a beautiful creation. We know that. Even when I go to Nepal and Mozambique and all the places I teach Haiti, okay, it's, it's, it's dirty. It's polluted. But if you can look past that, it's spectacular, the creation. The mountains of Nepal, people trek, fly there every year to trek. Okay, the Himalayas. That's how beautiful it is. 
Uh, we just got to get rid of the pollution and all that stuff. But furthermore, we have corruption and we have, you know, all the bad things that are happening around us that we see. Evil people, sin, destruction. Just imagine if all that's gone. Just imagine that just for a moment. What would this place look like? So he says he's creating this this uh, the new heaven and the new earth, but they're combined. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, now notice, I'm not going to get into the details of what the new Jerusalem is, but what's happening? It's coming toward us. What did the, uh, what did the two angels say? Uh, what did the angels say at, uh, in Acts when Jesus ascended? Why do you keep looking up? He's coming back the same way he left. <laughs> He's coming toward us. That's the picture all through Scripture. He pursues us. He comes after us. And I heard a loud voice um, from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This word here is actually plurals. Some of your translations actually say that. The peoples. All through the Old Testament, when he says, I will be your God and you will be my people, it's singular because he's talking about a nation. But all of a sudden right here, it becomes plural. You know why? Because his, his mission that he's been pointing toward for all of history has come to fruition. That's, when, that's what's in Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 9, every tribe, every language, every people. They're together singing. We finally have a truly wonderful community, diverse, in the positive sense of that word, diverse. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, it's very intriguing. It's actually the first, and I would argue the only truly pluralistic model. Corinthians are written to the Greeks. Titus written to a Mediterranean island culture. You have the cities in Asia Minor, church epistles, Turkish people. You have Romans written to Italians. And so the New Testament represents what happened in Acts 8 where he, they, he scattered the church all around the world and they began to tell people about Christ. And so the New Testament reflects that scattering it by itself is a model of what an ethnically diverse people group looked like to live together in harmony. You can see it by reading the New Testament. That's why he gives different advice to the different churches to help them understand, well, here's what the core of where you live, look, the gospel looks like in your region. Here's what it looks like. So in 1 Timothy, sure, we have language that looks like he's kind of restricting women. But then in Philippi, he has church leaders who are women and doesn't say anything about it. It's a whole different part of the world. Okay? In one place, 1 Corinthians 7, I want the young widows to, to stay single. But in uh, 1 Timothy 5, Ephesus, I want the young widows to remarry. Okay? He's not being inconsistent. He's helping them to live out the gospel within each of their cultures. And that's what you see when you travel around the world. If you ever want to go with me, let me know. I go to third world countries, and it's so fun watching how the churches live this gospel out within their own life, their own culture, their own world, in such a way that their people are drawn to it. Oh, it all centers on the cross. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about different gospels. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ came, lived, died, buried, was resurrected for my, save, my salvation. But the way they live it out in the different cultures is fabulous. And so we see it right here. Um, God's dwelling place is now among the peoples. He finally has gotten to the, his plan completed, and the entire world of believers is left. All the different ethnic groups singing praises together. The, the students in Kathmandu, Nepal, asked me, okay, so what do you think it's going to be like when the Lord comes back? And I said, I don't know. I, it, it doesn't give me that kind of detail. But uh, just picture this for a moment. They are depressed and discouraged because their country is filthy. You walk down the streets of Kathmandu, and they have rivers of sewage flowing down the canals right next to the major roads. That's, they just dump the sewage in there. Water is a transportation system, not... Uh, source of life and they don't know how to even begin to make a difference so they bought a church they built a church on one of the main streets and like you know they have all these little if you're ever into third world country all these little shops lining the street right everyone's about 10 feet wide has a metal door pull it down raise it up in the day and you go there and you sell your wares during the day it's very common so what the church did was their church is on main street so the four spots in front of them they bought that property those four where those businesses are and then they cemented over the sewage so the water runs and it runs through a pipe and it comes back up over here Okay, so you've got this, and then they rent this at a very reasonable rate to Christians who have businesses. They sweep it every day, they clean it every day, they have flowers out there, and I have a picture of, okay, a whole block of businesses, and guess where all of the Hindus are? Right here where these four, <laughs> these four places are. And they wish that their whole world, their country was like that. Our country is like this. Their country, it's a terrible place. Sometimes the pollution is so bad, I literally can't see the building across the street. That's how bad it is. And I said, so just imagine the Lord comes back. I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm just trying to help them think in their language. And the Lord says, all right, I gave you a pretty good planet here. I created it. It was beautiful. And look what you did to it. Your first job, clean it up. And so we as Americans, we have the technology. We all fly over there, and we all pick up all the litter and trash. And before you blink, got clean water again. They started crying with the excitement. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do believe that what's new is going to just entice us for eternity. Entice us. He's given us a place that we love so very much. We love it so much that we worship it. Don't we? All kinds of people groups that worship this. What does the Bible say? Serve creation, not worship it. Take care of it. Take care of it. We cannot live without creation taking care of us. Where do we get our food from? By the same token, creation can't survive and fulfill its purpose without us. It needs us to cultivate the ground to produce the food to live on. I mean, that's just very theological. Environmentalism is at the heart of what we believe. So he's going to dwell with all of his peoples on this earth. So what makes it a new earth and a new heaven? Here's my thinking on it. Again, it's an area of great discussion, and depending on your tradition, you might have a different viewpoint. But here's what I think of it. Heaven is God's domain. Earth is our domain. 
We're created to live here. Right? We're very unhappy without a body. That's why when we die, we can't wait to get our glorified bodies back. New bodies. And so heaven is where God dwells. Earth is where we dwell. We're going to see that throughout the summer when we look at all the tabernacle and temple and how it's all built. And then what happens in this new place? They come together. That demarcation, that line between them disappears. And now God lives in our very presence through Jesus. And that's actually what it says here. They will be his people and God himself, his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That was a promise at the base of Mount Sinai. If you obey my commands fully, you will be my prized possession and I will be your God. This is the same thing that Peter quotes in 1 Peter 2. You are a royal priesthood. You are a prized possession. You are God's own people. So Peter says, so at the end of time, what he's doing is he's taking out that demarcation and God comes to live with us permanently. Heaven and earth come together. That's how they're pictured here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what he intended all along. This is the garden. This is what he intended in the garden. No tears. None. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. There it is. The old order. Okay? Not the old creation. The way things are functioning today is going to be made completely new. What does 2 Corinthians 5 say? For those of you that were here two years ago, it's been two years, we said it every Sunday. If anyone is in Christ, they are a... They're part of the new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. You see, the future is already our reality. It's already ours. This is just all the mopping up stuff to clean the rest of it up. He who was seated on the throne said... Now, this is interesting. This is the first time that God the Father speaks since the first chapter. I am making everything new. And he said, write it down. Because these words are trustworthy and true. It's already our certainty. It's already a certainty to us. He said to me, it is done. What did Jesus say on the cross, the last thing? It's finished. Right? It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life, living forever, clean clean. What did Jesus say to Peter when he washed his feet? Peter said, wash all of me. And Jesus said, no, you're already clean. And now we get to enjoy that water. Ezekiel 36 talked about the cleansing water of the Holy Spirit. It's like cool, refreshing water. We enjoy it for all of eternity. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. Who is it that's victorious? Well, I'll give you my thought. Just before this, 1 John 5, we're told something very interesting. This is why I had Dave read it. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? 
Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's another way of saying those who are victorious, those who are Christians, those who are believers will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. Over in verse 22, he said, I didn't see a temple there in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, that's the end of time. So to get all the way down to the end of time, we now live in a place completely rejuvenated, remodeled. It's fresh. Corruption is gone. Evil's gone. Sin is gone. We just get to enjoy each other and all the other nations for the way God intended. And there's no temple there because the Lamb is a temple. Okay? And we are part of that. We're the spiritual temple. So God comes to dwell with us forever. So now what we're going to do, we're going to go back to the very beginning of the Bible and look at all the dwelling places to begin to flesh out these ideas and say, how is it that God always initiates? When he comes to us, what does he teach us here? 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 And the story of God gets bigger and bigger. And that's the fourth thing he's done to help us stay, keep our faith intact. He lives with us. I want to pray just right now to prepare us for uh, the offering and communion. But I'd like to say a special prayer. Don't know if you saw the news this morning, but we are pulling out of, uh, of Afghanistan permanently. And... Um, and there's a lot of concern. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics. I don't, it's not my area. I don't know anything about it. So I'm sure you guys will have different opinions on that. What I'm thinking about is the underground church that exists. I don't know what's going to happen to the country there. Maybe it'll be fine. Maybe it won't. Uh, you know, COVID is still all over the world. And I got a picture from uh, one of my friends in, in uh, Nepal. They have one hospital. It's full. They're not accepting anybody. He showed me a picture of Main Street, and they're putting uh, half quarter-inch pallets down, and they're laying people on them that have COVID, giving them a blanket. There's no medicine to give them, no oxygen to give them. They're just waiting for them to die. And he sent me these pictures, and the Army is in PPE gear walking up. When somebody dies, they just throw them into the truck, take them to an open crematorium, and burn them. Uh, they don't have what we have. They simply don't. Uh, he just wrote me and said, eight of the pastors that I typically train in the last two weeks have died. Well, they're out with their churches, helping their people. Of course, they're going to get it. And so uh, eight of the pastors have died. They're with the Lord now. They're enjoying life. So we have people all over the world. Let's remember them, okay? Father, we are grateful that you have come to dwell with us. And Lord, I'll be the first to admit, prior to studying this and thinking about it, I, I didn't even realize how precious this was that everything we do, wherever we are, you love us so much that you come to live with us in various forms. So, Father, as we start embark on this journey this summer to look at all the ways that you lead us, you dwell with us, you live with us, help us to learn more about you so that we can deepen our faith. And, Father, I do pray for the underground church in Afghanistan. I don't know what's going to happen when we pull out. I mean, I, I, it's not my area. I just don't know. But you do. I pray that you blossom. Help that church just blossom and grow. And help them reach many more people even than they are now. 
Father, I pray for the Christians in Haiti and for the Christians in Nepal and the Christians in some of the places in our country where COVID is still very dangerous. We are very blessed right here, but not every place is. I pray for them, Father. Help them. I pray for the Christians around the world who are, who are struggling with starvation and dying. As the pastor in Haiti said, we have people die every day, every week because of starvation and disease. Lord, things that we're very blessed where we are. So, Father, if we can be of help, show us. Give us wisdom to know what we can do. But, Lord, you are the God that owns all of this. They are your people. So we ask for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to do two things. This is how we conclude our time. We're going to uh, go ahead and collect an offering. And for those of you that are doing that, whoever that is, go ahead and do your thing. And let me just say a word. I tell my church all the time, indoors, uh, something similar. Thank you for being so generous, blessing our church. You're the ones that make it possible for us to feed the poor. You know, I don't know what we gave, 80 or 100,000 out of our benevolence, you know, last year. Uh, I, don't, I don't keep track of that. I ask from time to time. You know, all the food, the meals we serve through the food bank. But you're also the ones who make this venue possible because we pay for this. So thank you. You're the ones that make it possible. I just want to say thanks for whatever God puts on your heart to give. Whether you give in the basket or give online, that's really up to you. And then we'll be back in just a second, and we're going to celebrate communion together. That's how we end our time.